Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. We're finishing up our sermon series. It's run the last four weeks called A Time for Everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon says there is a time for everything and every season under the heavens. And so we've thought about time and God's gift of time and how we use well the time that has give, God has given us in this life. Today, Jesus reminds us that we have a time to pause, to, to rest, to reflect on the blessings that he has given us. And that's what we'll look at as we take a look at Luke chapter 13 today. 1939, that's the date that this movie was first released. And yet, as you sit here over 80 years later, my guess is that most of you could run down the basic plot of The Wizard of Oz. Either you've seen the movie or you've seen a production of it at high school or something like that. Uh, the Wizard of Oz is kind of part of our culture, isn't it? And so you might be able to just glance at this picture and know exactly where you're at in the film simply by looking at the picture. Do you remember? They're actually standing before the great and powerful Oz. They've come back to ask him to fulfill the promises that he made, thinking there's no way they would ever have found the wicked witch and destroyed her. But they have her broom, and now they want everything that he has promised. Do you remember? What did the scarecrow ask for? You can just shout it out. A brain, right? A brain? The, coward, the cowardly lion? Courage. Courage. Yep, I gave that one away. Sorry. How about the tin man? A heart? See, I knew you guys knew this one. And what did Dorothy want? She just wanted to go home, right? Do you remember the response of the great and powerful Oz? Come back tomorrow. I can't really think about that right now. You've got to give me a day. Come back tomorrow. What? You're not the great and powerful Oz. If you can't do what you promised, then we have to come back the next day. And maybe you even remember Dorothy's response. Tomorrow, I want to go home today. Kind of have the reverse of the Wizard of Oz in our story for today. We read it before, and I'll look at the verses with you again. But a woman is in desperate need of some help from Jesus. And Jesus heals her. And immediately, she's healed. But there's some who think that maybe Jesus should have said, come back tomorrow. And how thankful we can be as Jesus gives us the proper perspective of our day of rest, of the Sabbath day and what that's all about, that it is a time for us to pause and to reflect. That's the truth we're going to take from Luke chapter 13, that, that God gives us a time to pause. And using the idea of the woman who had, a, had the trouble that she did, We'll say first that Jesus straightens us out. And then, secondly, like the people who watched what Jesus was doing, we find our delight in him. Let's let Luke set the stage for us again as he describes the miracle in the first few verses of our text. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. 
Luke chapter 13, we're getting toward the end of Jesus' ministry. He's actually making his final push toward Jerusalem and his death on the cross and resurrection. But on his way, he did quite a bit of teaching. And usually as we read through the Gospels, Jesus' teaching seemed to happen outside in large crowds or maybe in people's homes. But here we actually have an example where Jesus was in the house of worship of his day, a synagogue. He was actually teaching the people on a Saturday, the Sabbath day, in the synagogue. And as Jesus was doing his teaching, there was someone else that was there that morning. A woman who simply is described as being bent over, hunched over, and could not stand up straight. Interestingly enough, Luke tells us that she was afflicted by a spirit. And later in the text, Jesus is going to lay that spirit at the feet of Satan. And maybe it's a good reminder how subtly Satan can even work in our lives today when he brings afflictions to us to try and drive a wedge between us and God. For 18 years, this woman suffered from not being able to stand up straight. I think we can understand her frustration and her desire to be better. Here's the best part. Jesus saw her. He took notice of her. As he's busy teaching, he notices this woman who is in the crowd. And he calls out to her. He brings her forward. And then, in a very understated way, Luke simply tells us, Jesus told her, be set free. You're set free from your infirmity. And he touches her and bam, immediately, Immediately, she is healed. She stands up straight. What an amazing miracle. Every once in a while, as I read through the Bible, I, I think numbers sometimes just lose their significance. You hear 18 years and you think, okay, it's not that 18 years. But I want you just to think about that for a second. Living with something like that for 18 years. And so what I did today is I thought of how long ago 18 years is. And it has to take us all the way back to 2005. And as I thought about some of the people sitting in here today, can you remember what you were doing in 2005, where you were in your life? I mean, some of the students here, I'm sorry to say it, but some of you were in diapers in 2005, right? I mean, that's how long ago we're talking about. So I, 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 just things that 2005 brought, just strange things. I, I was looking up new words that were introduced in 2005. 2005 was the first time people called another person cray or cray cray when they meant crazy. They used the word redonkulous for the first time in 2005, which I think means ridiculous. I think it's a synonym. And it was the first time that they referred to the people that hung around with them as their peeps. That was 2005. 2005 was the year that the fourth installment of Harry Potter was released in the theaters, The Goblet of Fire. Wow, it was that long ago. So can I quiz you just a little bit about other things in 2005? Price of a stamp. Do you think it was more, first class stamp, more or less than 40 cents? It was less. It was 37 cents. Okay. What is it now? 65? In 18 years, that's pretty big change. How about a gallon of gas in 2005? Do you think it was more expensive than 2023 or less expensive? 
This is a trick question. It was actually more expensive in 2005. Kind of amazing to think about, isn't it? The average, national average in 2005 was like 318. I think it's about 299 right now, the national average. So kind of interesting that in 18 years, there were some things going on in 2005 that caused that. And certainly it's been less than that since. How about the price of an iPhone? How much did an iPhone cost in 2005? More or less than $500? Trick question, there was no iPhone in 2005. YouTube started in 2005. There's no Twitter, X, whatever it's called now in 2000. Lots has changed in 18 years, right? And, and I use that example only to let you see how long 18 years actually is. Can you imagine the desperation that this woman had to be better? The lengths that she would have gone to to stand before Jesus and have him heal her? And can you imagine if Jesus said to her, come back tomorrow? He didn't. He knew right then was the right time to heal her. And as he healed her, she praised God. Not everyone was thrilled about what Jesus had done. Take a look at verse 14. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Again, while the woman was thrilled, one person we know for sure, and there may have been others, but Jesus focuses on one that wasn't too thrilled about what had happened, was the synagogue ruler. He actually calls Jesus out, and the woman too, but kind of in a unique way. He doesn't address Jesus directly. Instead, he speaks to everyone present in the synagogue and uses it as a time to instruct about the Sabbath day. And in his instructions, can you see that he also scolded Jesus and the woman? There's six days of the week to work, not the Sabbath. You should come back on one of those other six days. Do you, do you remember a little bit about the Sabbath day? That's a Hebrew word that simply means rest. Sabbath means rest. And it was called the Sabbath day because taking you all the way back to creation, God rested on the seventh day. And it was a day that God made holy. You may remember learning the commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And when Martin Luther wrote his explanation to that, he said, what we should do to honor the Sabbath day is fear and love God that we do not despise preaching and his word, but gladly hear and learn it. So what is this Sabbath all about? What does God want for us with a rest day, with a Sabbath day? What did he want for his people? You see, during Jesus' day, what seems to have happened is that there was a whole list of requirements for people to follow in order to honor the Sabbath day properly. It became this checklist of things that you needed to do to prove how close you were to God. And Jesus turns it around. He says, that's not the purpose of the Sabbath day. He actually calls out their hypocrisy. He says, if that's the case, then you shouldn't be giving your ox or your donkey water. That's a little hard for us to understand today. Maybe we would say, take your dog for a walk, you know, something like that. Of course you're going to do that. They need it. But that's not the kind of work that God wants us to rest from. It's not the idea behind the Sabbath day. 
What God wants for you and me on a Sabbath is all about rest. Rest for our souls. Yes, he wants physical rest for us too. You all know that you can't continue to work seven days a week over and over and over. The human body doesn't allow it and so we need that physical rest. But Jesus demonstrates the necessity to pause to find rest for our souls, to reflect on his blessings. Earlier in his ministry, when the disciples were picking heads of grain on a Sabbath day and, and they were criticized, Jesus actually said this, the Sabbath was made for mankind, not mankind for the Sabbath. In, in other words, the purpose of the Sabbath is for us. It's to benefit us. It's God pouring his blessings into our lives as we take time out, time out of a busy schedule and say, I need to reflect on the blessings that God has given and this morning, I want to use the two main characters outside of Jesus in this story, the synagogue ruler and the woman. I think they both have a lesson to teach us today. I'm going to start with the synagogue ruler. And before I get there, maybe the best question I can ask you is, is this. Why are you here today? Why did you come to church this morning? I think there are times that we think a little bit like the synagogue ruler. That somehow there are boxes that God expects us to check. That, that we might be doing God a favor by showing up in church because after all, that's what he wants me to do, right? And, and so maybe God will recognize that I came to church and, and bring some blessings to me because of it. The sinful pride of, of the synagogue ruler it creeps into our hearts and lives too, doesn't it? Where we are critical of other people. Do you find yourself talking in judgment about others as you look at them and see that they don't live in the way that you think that they should? That sinful pride affects all of us. But let's talk about the woman, too. We'll use her more symbolically. It's not that some of you aren't suffering with things that you've had for a long time, and it's not that, that God can't heal them, but, but there's far deeper meaning to the woman who's bent over. Because that's what sin does to us. Sin is heavy. Sin weighs us down. Think about all of the things that, that you try to escape every single day, the, the sins that come back over and over and over again. How easy it was this past week to have your anger flare up even though you didn't want it to. To have your eyes wander to something you knew you shouldn't be looking at. To have your words twist the truth and become lies to make yourself look better. To be jealous of other people who seem to have more blessings than we do. The list could go on and on, couldn't it? And that sin weighs us down. It's heavy. It bends us over. We can't stand straight before God because there is no, no excuse for those sins. But here you are in church. And you come because Jesus is here. That same Jesus who noticed the woman sitting in the back of the church, hunched over, called her forward, that same Jesus is here for you. That same Jesus says to you, I'll straighten you up. I will make things right with you because I took your place. I already suffered your punishment on the cross and now you can stand tall before God with righteousness. Not your own righteousness, but righteousness that came from me. The holiness that you need to stand before God is yours because of Jesus. Jesus notices you and he lifts you up. Look at the results of, of Jesus' work. 
When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. They rejoiced. Not just the woman, but the people who heard Jesus speaking, his teachings, who saw the great things that he did, they rejoiced in what Jesus was saying and doing. And of course, we know the greatest reason that we have to rejoice every single day. It's that Jesus forgives sin. Every single one. Everyone is already paid for on the cross. The very body and blood of Jesus were given and shed on that cross for the forgiveness of your sins. It's what we get to experience again today and taste in the Lord's Supper with the very body and blood of Jesus together with the bread and wine. When you're bent over by sin, remember what Jesus was willing to do to lift you up. And then when that temptation to become proud comes into your life, look at the humility of your Savior. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's how Jesus gives you rest for your souls. Do you see why it's so important to have a time to pause, to reflect on those blessings? Because when we reflect on the blessings that Jesus has given us, that's what gives us thankful hearts. That's what helps us remember the good things that God has done for us. And that thanksgiving isn't only for the spiritual blessings that God has. We certainly know those are the most important. But think of all the things that God gives us for our lives in this world too. The blessings he showers on us so richly. Those are things to reflect on and delight in. That's what God wants us to do, to see his blessings and let those blessings fill us with joy and delight every single day. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, Jesus encourages us to take time to pause and see his blessings. His invitation sounds like this in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Number two, Jesus lifts us up when our sins weigh us down. The psalmist said it this way, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on you. Finally, number three, we rejoice and delight in the wonderful things Christ has done for us. The psalmist said it in very similar words when he said, The Lord has done marvelous things and we are filled with joy. So this Thursday, our country will pause to celebrate Thanksgiving, a time to reflect on the blessings that God has given us. But I don't have to tell you that that's not the only day to give thanks. Every day is a day for Thanksgiving. Every day is a day for us to remember and reflect on the blessings God has given us, to pause and think about those good things that God has made a part of our lives and the good thing of life eternal that is yet to come. So here's your assignment for the week. Because every day is a day of thanksgiving, will you try this week? And I'm going to put a number on it, but you can choose whatever number you want. Will you try to every day, starting today, write down, text, put in your notes and your phone, whatever, three things, three things that you're thankful for today. And then do it again tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and all the way through the week. And just see if that exercise won't help you form a habit where you are thankful every single day, where you're reflecting on the blessings, taking that time to pause, to see those blessings of God, rejoice in the great things that he has done. And then we can say, just like Dorothy did, 
there's no place like home. The home that we have with our Lord forever in heaven. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.